when my thoughts went to negative thoughts and, oh, poor me, and why did this happen to me? And I'll never be able to amount to anything. And my life is wrecked. Why even live? I had to change my thoughts, just like changing a station on a radio and just stop thinking that way. And let's turn my thoughts into hope and not self-pity. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 45 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you very much for downloading this episode. Today's guest is Rosemary Rossetti, who is a powerful, internationally known speaker, consultant, writer, and publisher who walks her talk. Rosemarie and I have an inspiring conversation about dealing with adversity. Rosemarie's life was transformed on June 13, 1998, when a three and a half ton tree came crashing down on her. Her life was changed in that instant. Paralyzed from the waist down with a spinal cord injury, Rosemarie looked deep into herself and found new strength and new resolve. In her keynote speeches, she shares the lessons she learned since that fateful day and demonstrates how to rise above misfortune and live life with conviction. During our conversation, Rosemarie shares the five lessons that she learned from this life-changing event. The five lessons are, one, do something new every day. Two, focus on the hopeful future instead of self-pity. Three, believe the impossible. Four, allow more time to get things done and be patient. And five, lower your expectations of other people. We also discussed the personal mission her and her husband are on, and that is to increase the awareness and discussion of the home of the future. They built a national demonstration home and garden in Columbus, Ohio, the Universal Design Living Laboratory. Their home is the highest rated universal design home in North America, earning three national certifications. It received a silver LEED certification from the U.S. Green Building Council and a gold rating on the National Green Building Standard Program. They bring the discussion about marrying universal design, green building, healthy home, and technology to the forefront. You can take a virtual tour of the house by going to the website www.udll.com and clicking tours on the menu bar. I did spot their cat three times when I took the tour. We wrap up our conversation with a discussion on disability insurance. Rosemary developed selling disability income insurance with conviction using her own case study. In this program, Rosemary discusses the value of disability income insurance and motivates insurance professionals and financial planners to sell more policies. Rosemary was selected as the national spokesperson for disability insurance by the Life Foundation in 2011. 
Our conversation is very inspiring, and I believe it'll have you thinking differently. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that one of my goals with this podcast is that I'll help you begin to make changes in your work and personal lives so you can better connect with others and create meaningful relationships. Many people have said that it takes 21 days to start a habit. According to Dr. John Molitor, PhD, that is incorrect. John is a professor of psychiatry at Michigan State University and the president of the National Speakers Association Board of Directors. He recently said that the research shows that it takes 66 days to create a habit. So now we have to put in the extra work to create that muscle memory. That's why I created the Yes And Challenge, to keep these principles in front of you so you can build up your improvisational muscle. To sign up, please go to petermargaritas.com and scroll down to the Yes And Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the productive habit of Yes And and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag YesAndChallenge. If you're unaware of what the YesAnd Challenge is all about, I discuss this in greater detail in episode zero. So go back and take a listen. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you'd like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, Using Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership in Life for $14.99 and the shipping is free, please go to my website and you'll see the graphic on my homepage. Please allow up to 14 days for shipping. You can follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant. My Twitter handle is at pmargaritas. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching my name. Well, with that said, let's get to the interview with Rosemary. Let me start off by saying welcome, Rosemary, and thank you for being a guest on my podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me, Peter. It's my honor. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, I, I know, and I've I may have said this in the uh, intro. Uh, I know Rosemarie from the National Speakers Association, the Ohio chapter, and she has just been an absolute delight to get to know. And I know you guys listening to this are going to walk away in awe. Trust me on this one, in awe. So, Rosemarie, could you tell the audience, could you tell us about who you are and, and what has transpired in your career? Well, I'm a speaker, I'm a writer, an author. As a consultant, um, as of the last component of my career, and my current focus is on accessible housing, universal design housing, making homes livable for a lifetime, and that is a result of um, an accident that I had in 1998. So before that, I had been on the faculty at Ohio State University teaching courses in public speaking and teaching methodology. I also had a, a, a very um, long career as a horticulturist, both as a teacher of horticulture and working as a interior horticulturist, and also wrote a book about keeping plants healthy indoors. So I have a, a, a diverse background in that <laughs> my educational training is in education, specifically in agriculture. I had a dual major as an undergraduate in horticulture with agriculture education, um, started a career path to teach at the high school vocational level and then teaching at the university level and then working as an interior horticulturist for a while. Then I started my speaking business 
full time um, after leaving the university from an 11 year stint on their faculty. And that's about the time when life changed in an instant for me, Peter, um, as right. you have seen me and, and know a little bit about me. Um, there was a life before June 13th, 1998, which was a, a very academic life and, and following a career to be a speaker and a trainer for public speaking. And then suddenly on June 13th, 1998, while riding my bicycle, um, suddenly a 7,000 pound tree fell on top of me and instantly left me paralyzed from the waist down. Oh my God, I didn't realize you rode a bicycle at the time. Yes. Um, no wind, no rain, no clouds. Just uh, a beautiful Saturday on a beautiful um, rails to trails bicycle route in Granville, Ohio. My husband and I were celebrating our third wedding anniversary, um, having a wonderful day when all of a sudden Mark heard what he thought was a gunshot and he slowed down and started looking. And that's when he saw the tree halfway down. He tried to stop me, tried to warn me, he was screaming at me, but there was nothing I could do. I was totally engulfed by this 80-foot-tall tree and the live power lines that fell on top of it. Oh, my. (laughs) Rarely do I get speechless, but I I believe I I just uh, am experiencing one of the... so very sorry. I didn't. I, I I knew there was an accident in a tree, but I didn't realize you were out third anniversary and, and riding uh, rails to trails. Um, wow, that was a that was a very big day. Um, and, and from that, from that day, as you said, that was a life changing moment. The rehab that you had to have gone through. How long was that? It was two years, three days a week. Uh, it was a, it was like a part-time job. That's what I did three days a week. I went into physical therapy, occupational therapy all day. Um, my initial um, surgery was excruciatingly long where they had to do a spinal fusion. I had a broken neck and a broken back, a spinal cord injury, broken ribs, broken sternum. Um, so after the surgery, intensive care for five days and then transported from downtown Columbus from the Grant Medical Center where the surgery was performed. Thankfully, the helicopter flew me in very quickly from the bike trail, and um, they did everything they could to restore function. Then uh, after the intensive care, it was uh, a very slow ambulance ride to the Ohio State University to the medical center um, where they put me on a on a bed, and there I was in Dodd Hall at the rehabilitation center as an inpatient. And I spent basically the summer of 1998. It was, you know, five weeks there, trying to figure out now what, how how much function would I get? At that time, I couldn't even hold a pen. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't comb my hair. I couldn't brush my teeth. I couldn't move in bed. I was in a neck brace and a body brace, just laying there, wondering now what. Yeah, it was just a total total shock to say I am totally paralyzed at this point. Um, but fortunately, over time, I was able to hold a pen and hold a fork and hold a hair dryer and hold a toothbrush, and things got better um, over time. I was discharged in July from the um, rehabilitation component as an inpatient, 
and then uh, went home where then three days a week, I had to be transported back to Ohio State University for the two-year period. Wow. I know you have a program uh, uh, speaking on uh, coping with change and dealing with adversity. Uh, but it just now, I just now realized I just, uh, the title of the program is just like riding a bike. You went through more change and more adversity than one person should have to deal with. Michael, what was the thing that kept you? I mean, so many people would just give up or maybe turn to self pity or, or why me? Uh, what, what was it that kept pushing you forward? What was it that? said, I'm going to comb my hair. I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. I, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. Well, I realized I had a lot invested in my life. Peter, at the time I had a PhD. I had my own speaking business. I also had a publishing company. I had released the book, The Healthy Indoor Plant. I had a wonderful husband and that's the biggest key in that I had a loving relationship with a wonderful man, Mark Later. Being married to him at that point for three years, I just knew I had to move on. And when you think about the um, catalyst for motivating you, you think about love and you think about what other people go through and you think about all those people who do love you and that they are depending on you. So my mother was still alive at the time in her 80s. She depended on me to be her caregiver in her elderly um, stage of life. I had a brother with a developmental disability. He needed my assistance and caregiving as he was old and aging with this disability. I had another brother um, that was six years older. He depended on me too. So I had lots of people who loved me, supported me, and um, very much wanted me to, to get going with life and pick things up. And when I looked back at the investment that I already had put into my life in education and training and building businesses, I said to myself, there's just so much here. I've got to figure out now what can I do with what I have. And uh, the book Man's Search for Meaning made a huge difference. It was a real turning point reading Viktor Frankl's book. I read it very early on after coming home from the hospital. And I remember with a box of Kleenex at my side reading that book. Um, he was a survivor in the German concentration camp. And, and that message of love came through with his book. That was what got him through to know that there's hope on the other end and that the meaning for life is love. What a very strong and powerful message in dealing with adversity is. is and I look at it. You have a wonderful team that is around you, that supported you, that 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 helped you get through this personal crisis that that you were having, and, and kept. I, I can imagine there were days that you know there were, but they kept you and yourself seeing an end game here and, and not giving up, and and which that in itself um, 
a lot of people can't achieve in a lifetime, but, but you achieved it in a very short period of time. I mean, you said you, you've written a number of books, uh, a publishing company, yeah, professor at, I, I think you, I think you misspoke here, Rosemary. You said Ohio State University. Is it the Ohio State University? That's right. The Ohio State University. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> and, but then, then everything changed. And, and how did your, how did your speaking business change at, at, at this point? Because it, it, it took a different focus. Well, at that point, I couldn't even get out of the house, so there was very little speaking. Um, interestingly enough, one of our fellow National Speakers Association members in the Ohio chapter, his name is Randall Reeder, yeah. um, he was also a faculty member when I was on the faculty in the College of Agriculture. He's an agriculture um, engineer, so we knew each other as faculty members. And since I was at the Ohio State University for my rehab, of course, he came over to visit me uh, just about every day. And he would do a report and send emails to all the other National Speakers Association members in Ohio to give an update on my status as I was at the uh, Rehabilitation Center. And one of those visits, he said to me, Rosemary, I have a speech in September. Now, this was in June when I got injured. He already has planned for me my first speech in September. It was in Columbus, and he had the audience. He had the topic. It was going to be over getting over your fear of public speaking. That was the topic. And so he said, you're going to do this program with me. You're going to come in your wheelchair, and you're going to deliver the program just like you would have before your injury. And he just continued to try and plan this program with me in my hospital bed. <laughs> That's wonderful. So were you able to? I was. I was able to. I had a uh, personal care attendant um, at, at that time. She worked for me during the week. So she came to my home every day. And, and that continued from the time I got home in July until May the next year. That's how long I needed a personal care attendant wow. to get me out of bed, to get me dressed, to get me showered, to get me out of the house, to put me in her car, to take me anywhere. So at that time in September, my personal care attendant, Yolandia, took me to the speaking engagement. And uh, I had an audience, and for the first time, I delivered a presentation um, in a seated position, and it was just pretty different to not be standing and delivering, but to be sitting and rolling around uh, with this audience and explaining to them that this was the first time for me to be out speaking again. And the irony was, is the location for this speech. The location was um, the Berwick Party House here in Columbus. This was a well-known place for people to come and celebrate major holidays and uh, wedding receptions. And I had been at the Berwick Party House many times. And in fact, the last time I had been there was that previous New Year's Eve where my husband and I went with a lot of family to a New Year's Eve party and dinner at the Berwick Party House. Now, that was in January, of course, January 1. Here I am in September, back in that party house in a wheelchair. They had me speaking off of the dance floor. That's where they had this program. So here I was back on the dance floor doing a presentation in my wheelchair 
And I started crying. I started to remember how fun it was to dance, how fun that night was, how I never would have imagined on New Year's Eve that I would that next June be paralyzed from the waist down. And so I shared that thought with the audience to let them know how moved I was um, by being there with them on this experience. There couldn't have been a dry eye in that audience after that. Yeah, it was uh, it was an emotional time for everyone. I mean, I'm 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 holding them back right now, quite honestly. Um, wow, that's 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 a wonderful and surreal type of story. I, I can't I can't even put myself in, in even phantom the, the, the strength that you have to one get back up and do a, a presentation months after an injury like that. To go back into a place that you have very fond memories of a few months earlier and have those memories come back and maintain composure and and, and see it to them. But I, I can just imagine just when you finished it, that had been so gratifying that you um, you got back up and you did it. Yeah, there was an interesting conversation when I got home. My caregiver, Yolandia, had never seen me in a professional environment. She'd only seen me at home and in physical therapy. And so she came up to me at the end of the day, and she gave me this big hug. And she goes, girl, (laughs) you haven't lost it. You still got it. It's just like riding a bike. And I looked at her and I said, Yolandia, why would you say that to me? That's why I'm in this wheelchair. (laughs) And she just started laughing and she slapped her cheek and continued laughing. And that's where the phrase, it's just like riding a bike came from. And my fellow members of the National Speakers Association in Ohio heard me tell this story And uh, one of the members, Lillian Zarzar, stopped me and said, Rosemary, that's going to be the name of your memoir. That's going to be the name of your presentation. It's just like riding a bike. And it is. Wow. It is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. So now you're back up. You've gotten past that hurdle. But today, you're not so much... Uh, let me ask this question. Are you st- in, in, in your speaking business, are you still training those about how to become a better presenter, a better public speaker, or has it, or has it moved into a, a whole different direction? There has been a major transformation, and the, uh, the first one was to talk about the injury. So I started speaking to audiences really soon. They, a lot of people were asking me, can you come and tell your story? Can you tell us what lessons you've learned? And because I started a, um, a memoir right there in the hospital, I started a tape recorder immediately. Uh, thanks to Winnie Airy, another NSA Ohio member who said, Rosemary, you're going to want to know, um, what you're going through and some lessons learned. So Mark brought me a little tape recorder and I started my memoir right there. And for two years, every day, I was recording into this little tape recorder, um, having tons and tons of information. So I could use that to write the memoir, to write my book, um, Take Back Your Life, and to formulate what would be the keynote that I would share and what five lessons were most important that I wanted to give the audience. So 
Peter, yes, my business transition and focus really took a shift to be more of a motivational speaker to share what I had been learning so that it could help um, others to set and achieve goals and redefine possibles and, you know, take small steps and turn them into big leaps and embrace change, uh, get out of slumps, live with conviction is really the message. The first lesson I learned was from physical therapy, do something new every day. And so when I would arrive to my physical and occupational therapist, I would challenge them, what are you going to teach me new today? And they were just like, what do you mean? And I go, I want to do something that I didn't do yesterday. So focus on a new activity or a new amount of weight on the the equipment that I was using or more repetitions of uh, exercises. We were doing a lot of exercises to strengthen my hands, to strengthen my arms, to teach me how to use a wheelchair in the community, um, to teach me about getting in and out of bed or moving in bed. I mean, it was everything. So that was my mantra, do something new every day. And then when I'd return home, Usually in the evening, I would call my mother and I'd tell her what I did new that day. So I could see progress. I could see when I took my very first step, when they finally got me up on my two feet to see, could I take my first step? I could take one step and then I could sit down in the wheelchair and say, there, I did one step. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next time, you know, let's see if you can do a couple of steps. Let's just see if you can do five of them this time. And then go sit down. And then each time I would go, I'd say, well, I want to go farther. I want to go farther. Let's see how far I can walk. And, you know, pretty soon I'm walking the length of a football field. Uh, Only a few weeks later. So that was number one. Do something new every day. Number two is focus on a hopeful future, not on your self-pity. Now, I learned this lesson a year before my injury. It was June of 1997 when Christopher Reeve was in Columbus on the main stage at the uh, state fairgrounds doing a presentation. I was in the audience. I was not injured at that time. I was just sitting in the chair listening to him. And that was his message uh, to focus on a hopeful future, not on self-pity. So I took that lesson from him a year later and put his picture by my bedside when I was in the hospital to remind me when my thoughts went to negative thoughts and, oh, poor me, and why did this happen to me? And I'll never be able to amount to anything. And my life is wrecked. Why even live? I had to change my thoughts, just like changing a station on a radio and just stop thinking that way. And let's turn my thoughts into hope and not self-pity. So that was two, number two. Number three, believe that the impossible just might be possible. Uh, I learned that through the many years of physical and occupational therapy as I was starting to see things that I thought I could never do, never ever imagine that I could do. So when the therapist would tell me, you know, what kind of sports did you used to do? And I said, well, I was an avid bicyclist. I love to snow ski, you know, and she was telling me, well, there's adaptive sports. You could bike again and you could snow ski again and you could play golf. And it's like, but I didn't play golf before. She's like, well, you could learn how to play <laughs> golf. <laughs> There's adaptive sports. 
And so when I started realizing the world of adaptive sports, I was just amazed at the equipment that's out there. So they brought a bicycle over to me, a three-wheeled recumbent bike, Mm. and they put me in and said, go ride. And there I was riding a bike again. Wow. Uh, And then then, uh, I went to a ski resort here in Ohio with the Adaptive Sport Coalition here. And they put me in a mono ski and said, now go ski. And there I was skiing again from a seated position. So I learned about the impossible um, just might be possible with recovery and adaptive equipment. Number four, learn that one by being home and being very impatient. The number four rule is to allow more time to get things done and be patient with yourself. Um, I was just so frustrated by not being able to reach things in my home, not being able to roll on the carpet, not being able to access the laundry facility, not being able to dress myself or to take my own shower. So I had to realize that I was being impatient and that slowly I would learn how to do things differently and that this is how it is for now, but things would change and I would get better. So allowing more time to get things done and be patient with yourself is number four. And my final one, to lower your stress, lower your expectations of other people. And I learned that by working with my husband, Mark, to realize I could not ask him to do everything. Because of all the things I normally did, I was putting that responsibility on him, and that wasn't fair. If you've ever had a to-do list from your spouse or partner, you'll all understand. (laughs) Imagine that your spouse or partner had all day to write a to-do list, what that would look like when you came home. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So a funny, funny thing he told me about that. I'd have these lists and explain, you know, I want you to take the chicken out of the oven that Yolandia put in. I want you to take the clothes out of the washer and put them in the dryer. You need to go to the drugstore before they close at seven. I have a new prescription to pick up. The dishwasher (laughs) needs to be unloaded and you might want to mow the grass. You know, it's like all these things for one night. So he knew he couldn't get that done and he was stressing out. And so he would take that list and he would go upstairs to his office and he would He would cut that list in two pieces, a small top piece and then a large big piece. And then he would take that large big piece and he'd put it in the shredder of his (laughs) office, never to be seen again. (laughs) And that was his way to relieve his stress. He thought, well, I'll just kind of decide on the most important things and then the rest of them forget it. And I said, well, how could you do that? You knew those things were important to me. And his reply was, if that was important to you, I knew it would be on the list tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, that's funny. (laughs) But he did come home every night. Yeah, he did come home every night. We stayed married. We did have counseling, however. There was so much grief on his part and mine. There was so much depression. Uh, For a full year, we had counseling Um, Don't think it wasn't easy. There was just too much to lose with our relationship and and my physical loss and his sense of, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. 
uh, with all the financial responsibility, the businesses that I was running at the time, and his um, world of being in sales, working as an outside salesperson, and his income falling. Uh, Fortunately, I had disability income insurance, which I hope all your listeners have. It's an income replacement insurance, and mine kicked in immediately. So I started receiving monthly income from my disability insurance um, policy. Well, that's very, very good advice, uh, especially for those, um, well, for everybody, and especially those who are entrepreneurs and self-employed, and the business kind of lays on their shoulders to keep it going. So I want to go back to to your five uh, things here. And number four is standing out to me. Uh, Allow more time to get things done and be patient. Is that what also took your business in a different direction as it comes to designing of your house and, and, and a lot of things that you're speaking on today? Yes, that was the frustration. I was totally frustrated not being able to get into my house independently, not being able to roll on the carpet, not being able to reach anything, um, you know, beyond two feet high. And so that created huge frustration for me. We we tried to make some modifications. We moved uh, furniture around. We took doors off. We tried what we could, but there was nothing that was going to be a permanent solution in that house to be wheelchair friendly. So what did you do? Did you, is this where you built the, the uh, house out in Gahanna? Right. The new house is just a mile out of Gahanna on the northeast part of Columbus in Jefferson Township over on Clark State Road. Um, so as a result of the house being not wheelchair accessible that we lived in at the time, we decided to embark on a new journey. And that's to say, could we find a house that was already built or did we have to build something new? And as we started that journey, um, another turn of events is a group of NSA uh, speakers uh, formed a mastermind group. And when I met with the mastermind group for the first time in Orlando and told them that Mark and I were planning to build a new home and it would be wheelchair accessible, and that we'd like to share what we've learned with others uh, because we're not the only ones needing wheelchair accessible homes. We thought, well, maybe we could share our home with other people to learn. And it was this mastermind group that gave us the idea to build a national demonstration home and to get it sponsored by corporations who wanted their products in the home. They also said to make it green since green was a very um, important component of housing. So my head was spinning, Peter, when <laughs> this group of other speakers had this brilliant idea. Mark and I were sitting there listening to them telling us, oh, yes, you should build this the, your home and make it a national model and, and have tours available for the public and invite corporations to participate with you and get volunteers to help you. And you can do this, Rosemary, <laughs> and you can speak about this. And this could be your, your new horizon. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It was just totally bizarre. The, the biggest, hairiest idea I could ever imagine. And I left that weekend with Mark with the notes that he had been taking. And I'm like, where do we start? <laughs> They're serious. They want us to build a new house. 
Oh, wow. I, I, there, there's, there's something to be said about the power of a community. And, and I, I love this, this phrase, the collective knowledge uh, outside of your office far exceeds the collective knowledge inside of your office. But I can, I can imagine it, it just, yeah. So where did you start? Well, we thought, we thought real hard about breaking it down and asked them to continue phone dialogues with us. I said, don't just leave us, <laughs> go back to Columbus and say, the next meeting we want to report. <laughs> you guys have to help me because I don't know what the steps are. I don't know what we're supposed to do to get sponsors. I have no clue. So they said, well, you're going to have to hire somebody that knows about getting sponsors. So we called the National Association of Home Builders, one of the first calls that started us down that path to find someone to lead us to figure out how to get sponsors. And fortunately, they gave us an answer. They said, there's only one man in this country that we would even consider recommending to you. That's his specialty. And his name is Robert August. He's in Denver. Give him a call. Um, and so thankfully, he took my call and really got excited about working with us. And he's been with us ever since, helping us, teaching us, um, coaching us, opening up his network, introducing us to these major corporations in the building industry that wanted to be involved, helped us write letters, helped us with our phone scripts, helped us by being on calls with us, help us by going through the International Builders Show the next year and taking us with them to meet some of these uh, potential sponsors. It was a monumental task to get 217 sponsors to be contributing either at no cost or reduced cost the products and services to be able to build our home. <laughs> yeah, that is a a a big, hairy, audacious goal. Wow. Uh, how long did that take? Well, it took uh, several years, and it was before we started the design as well as during the construction, which was 32 months, um, and while it was under construction. Then after we moved in, which was May of 2012, we had to finish the landscape in the basement, so we needed more sponsors for that initiative. So it was a major major enterprise over several years. And during this time, you weren't able to do any additional modifications to your current residence? No, they uh, would not. It would not be any way approachable with a two-story home that had no elevator and rooms that were just too small and counters that were too tall, no privacy in the bathrooms. I mean, we looked at that as a possibility and said, no, that's not financially even feasible. We can't make this house work long term. However, we did live in that house uh, from the time of the accident until the time we moved into a small apartment um, during the construction of this house. We were there 15 years in total. So we had the experience of the frustration. Well, uh, I got to see your house firsthand uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, and, and it is a very, very beautiful home. Thank you. Thank you. We'd invite all of your listeners to take a tour. We have a website with a virtual tour that you can take. Thanks to our partner, Google, they took over 700 photos of the home and stitched them there together. So you can actually take a virtual tour on our website 
which is simple, the initials, UDLL.com, UDLL.com. So if any of you are interested in taking a tour of our home, it's pretty cool. Um, Going into the front door and going through the house, you can actually uh, zoom in and zoom around at the ceilings and the walls and the floor. Um, You can read the labels on the Campbell's soup cans in the pantry. (laughs) Uh, You can go out the back door from the great room into the patio area and uh, see the landscape. You can go downstairs into the lower level where we have a classroom, another bedroom, a bathroom, an exercise room, and storage area. Um, So it's a, a great tour, and it's a neat game to play. I tell people if they would like to look very closely while they're on tour we have a cat. Her name is Kiko. Now, Kiko is a, a, a beautiful orange tabby cat that we, we got from the rescue shelter. But Kiko is the photo bomber. <laughs> she, she continued to get into the picture when the photographer was here. So I tell people if they want to play a game, as they're going through the tour, look for Kiko. She is in that tour somewhere. Oh, that's great. Uh, I'm just going to take a moment and read something off your website about your home. It says, this home is the highest rated universal design home in North America, earning three national certifications. It received a silver LEED certification from the U.S. Green Building Council and a gold rating on the National Green Building Standard Program. Okay, that's real impressive. Um, I, <laughs> your story is to me is just so fascinating how it has transformed and and, and moved in, in in different directions, and quite frankly, in my world of, of of improvisation and talking about improvisation, you are the most adaptable person that I think I've ever met. Uh, and you have such a wonderful yes and attitude, not no because or yes, but to help drive you forward. It's it's just it's just amazing your story. And, and now, one to go out and get all those sponsors to basically build your house, and and and, and but and you said that you weren't you're not the only person. So so how are you today trying to make an impact on on the housing industry? Uh, with your with your design and, and, and um, your home? Well, one is through our website, which is, of course, global. So it's been promoted throughout the entire world so that people can go and learn from us and borrow some of the ideas. We also have a free chapter of my new book that is at udll.com, and that's a great tool. It's a listing of the universal design features room by room in the house, So that's a great checklist to to look at while you're going on tour. If you're not familiar with universal design, let me help explain it. As you look at this house, you're going to um, recognize that the doorways are wider. You're going to Mm -hmm. recognize there's no steps to get into the home. You're going to recognize that there are multiple heights of countertops in the bathroom as well as the kitchen. You'll recognize under the sink and under the cooktop, there's space for someone in a wheelchair, for their knees. And these are all universal design features. These are design features that accommodate the majority of the population without any specialized design. It's just good design. And so that's one way that we're promoting um, the Catalyst for Change is to have this website. We have over 100 articles 
we have the virtual tour, we have video tours, we have webinars, and we have the new book. The new book that I wrote is the Universal Design Toolkit, and it is being sold as an electronic book complete with a learning library system. So it's got a series of webinars and videos that have never been seen on our website before. So it's a whole package that people can purchase if they're really serious as a professional or as a consumer that they really have a need to know what they should do to make their home more livable for a lifetime or to accommodate an aging population or a population that has a disability. So Peter, that's one way we're working is through our website, through the resources there, um, through the Universal Design Toolkit and all of the other wonderful pieces that are there. Um, on another front is the personal tours. We do schedule by appointment groups to come in. Um, so far, we've had 2,300 people touring our house, um, and they usually stay about an hour and a half or two hours. We invite consumers, builders, realtors, interior designers, the medical profession, students from elementary, middle school, uh, high school and college, a physical therapist, occupational therapist, interior designers, um, anyone who can benefit that would like to see this house in person um, just need to call me with a group and we'll arrange that. I speak for a living nationally, um, so I do uh, keynote programs at conferences. I also deliver webinars. Um, those are more particular for the professional organizations that would like to have me um, deliver things. And I write lots of articles for professional and consumer-based magazines. So Mark and I are very involved. We work together full-time as a team to be the catalyst. That's 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 wonderful. I And I, I just took a little tour uh, of the house because uh, I was on the website. Look, I didn't see the cat, but I'm going to go back after this and see if I can find the, the, the cat and see how, many, <laughs> see how many times I can find the cat. Is there a prize on how many times if, if you get the right number? Right it's number. an internal motivation <laughs> that you were so observant that we give you a good score. If you're that observant touring the house and you actually see her, <laughs> you have observation skills of an expert. <laughs> oh, uh, so I do have to... Uh, Ask this one, this question, are you, are you solely speaking uh, on this universal design or are you also speaking, the motivational speaking about your accident and, and, and the five things that you learned from that accident? I do speak um, still as a motivational speaker in addition to speaking about the house, but there's a third element and I kind of hinted at it earlier when I talked about disability insurance. I'm also a national speaker for insurance corporations and um, organizations. They bring me in to motivate those financial planners and representatives and agents who are selling disability insurance. They don't usually get to hear from a claimant, from someone who's had an injury to realize how important that disability insurance is to that family. So I reveal my story. I, I share with them the data in terms of the cost of having the disability and all the things that had to factor in to make me able to be able to live at home and then to regain the ability to start working again. So I teach them about how to sell it and I teach them about its importance. 
Wow. So I have to ask this question. Being an entrepreneur, uh, how does one find this type of insurance? Well, you as a person who's employed by another company need to talk with your HR people. If you're working for another corporation, it may be part of your benefit. Now, it may be included in your salary as it was with mine. I had disability income insurance as a faculty member at Ohio State University through the State Teachers Retirement System of Ohio. Mm -hmm. So that was a benefit that I just took for granted. It was just part of my uh, benefit package. Fortunate for me, when I left the university, that policy followed me for two years so I could start the business and still be covered. I was injured a year and a half after I left the university, so that policy was still in effect. So that'd be my first um, inquiry, is for those of you working for a corporation, find out from your HR department what is the group policy, and is it enough, or do you need something as a gap to buy individual insurance? And for those of you who are self-employed, you really need this policy. As you heard my story, um, life would have been so much different if I had no income. I would have been bankrupt. I'd have lost the house. Mark and I would have had major stress and turmoil. Who knew what would happen to our marriage as a result of that fiasco? Um, so please start um, contacting your financial planners and financial representatives that sell disability insurance and get an individual policy. That's great information for my audience because uh, in all honesty, I don't think I ever really, when I was working for a company, really never even paid it that close attention to it. I didn't, I, I can't tell you if I had it when I was at the last three or four uh, employers and I probably didn't give really a second thought, just never, but, um, I'm giving about five thoughts right now because being <laughs> being self-employed, um, yeah, I, I think I know what I'm doing when when we end this. I'm making a few phone calls, um, mm -hmm. but I, I I would have never one thought about it, and two, uh, I think a lot of people in my audience probably have never thought about it, and uh, will be thinking a lot more about it because, yeah, if. You didn't have that. Who, you know, who, who knows where your journey would have taken you? And and it, it, it all may have worked out, but then again, that's why they have insurance, right? And there's lots of good resources out there to learn more. There's also calculators that are available, and so I might um, recommend something. Um, there's one website that I often recommend. It's LifeHappens.org. Uh, lifehappens.org has various insurance topics of which one of them is disability insurance. So just go to lifehappens.org, um, click on the calculators, click on disability insurance, and that might help you as you're looking at, well, how much do I need in terms of what percent of my income do I need to protect and how much can I get? And, uh, you know, it's going to be individual for everyone in terms of their ability even to, to qualify for a disability insurance policy based on their health. As someone who is in, in really bad health is going to possibly have to have a rider or a wait time um, to wait and see how they're going to recover from something like a cancer diagnosis. 
Okay. Uh, that's, that's good information. And just so my audience knows, if, if you want to read Rosemary's bio you, you on her website, rosemariespeaks.com, her bio, I mean, she's she's really laid out most of it through, through the story. But as I as I've read through it, there was a few things that that jumped out at me. And one, she holds the title of Miss Wheelchair Ohio two thousand and four. Yes, it is true. I bet most of your listeners have no idea what that is. <laughs> I, just, yeah, I, I don't. I, I sure didn't. And the other one that I thought was really cool in two thousand two, she carried the Olympic torch in Columbus, Ohio, on its way to the Winter Olympics. Yes, that was one cold January night. But what a proud moment to have that flaming torch in my arm as I wheeled down High Street and down near the campus here at Ohio State University, surrounded by my friends, family, uh, and community. They were all there cheering me on. Well, you are a very special lady uh, who just has an incredible amount of will, drive. Um, I, I'm, I'm so, like I said, I, I'm so in awe of this conversation. Uh, and it's been a pleasure getting to know you just a little, a lot better than I have through uh, our conversations at at the Ohio chapter of NSA meetings and the time that 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 we were at your house for that uh, for that seminar. I, I can't begin to thank you uh, for taking time. You have such a powerful, wonderful story that I don't care who you are in my audience. This applies to all of us, and, and I hope you take it to heart. And we'll put, I'll put uh, her website and, and all the, the references that she made in, in this uh, podcast uh, in the show notes for you to download. And, and everybody, go look into your disability insurance. Uh, Rosemary, thank you so very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Peter. It was a pleasure. I would like to thank Rosemary again for taking time out of her schedule to give us her thoughts on dealing with adversity on the home of the future, and disability insurance. You can learn more about Rosemary on her website at www.rosemariespeaks.com and book her to come out to speak to your organization. Also remember to go to www.udll.com and take a tour of her home. In episode 46, this is part two of my conversation with Greg Kondaraci, who is the author of the book, Getting Up, Supercharging Your Energy, along with being a marketing and energy consultant, speaker, facilitator, trainer, and teacher. In episode 35, Greg and I discuss physical and intellectual energy. In episode 46, we finish our discussion on intellectual energy and then discuss emotional energy. You don't want to miss this episode. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you'd like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, Using Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership and in Life, for $14.99, and the shipping is free, please go to my website, and you'll see the graphic on my homepage. Please allow up to 14 days for shipping. You can follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant. On Twitter, my Twitter handle is at p. Margaritas. Connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching my name. 
Thank you again for listening and remember to use the power of adaptability and, yes, and in dealing with adversity. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.